0: Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Miller's Law, a veteran-founded and run law firm. Miller's Law is giving back to the community that gives so much by making an incredible special offer to our listeners. For the next 30 days, Miller's Law is offering veterans and first responders a family will and power of attorney for only $299. Now, typically, a will and POA can cost over 2000 bucks. So this is a very meaningful way to say thank you for your service for all veterans and first responders. To take advantage of this amazing gift, don't wait. Go to millerslaw.com, millarsla law.com. Go to the website and get your will done today. Or if you prefer to give them a call on the telephone, dial 519 657 1500 that's 5196571500 and they're looking after people from coast to coast in Canada so if you're in Canada anywhere in Canada they can help you out don't delay do it today hello everybody september is suicide prevention month and this is operation tangle romeo we'll be talking about the link between stigma and suicide hello everyone and thank you for tuning in i do appreciate it being that it's suicide prevention month uh let's get into the nitty-gritty of it and what can we actually do to help prevent suicide well first of all is to recover out loud it is so important to recover out loud, which simply means when you're going to therapy, don't say you're going to get groceries. Say, yeah, I'm going to therapy and say it like it ain't no thing because it shouldn't be. The more you are holding back, the more you are embarrassed trying to hide and keep private the fact that you're going to therapy, the more other people think, oh, well, maybe I should be really quiet too. And it it just increases the shame, the stigma that goes along with reaching out for help. And it is the opposite of it's okay to not be okay. So not good. Um, The thing with stigma is that a lot of times it happens from the helpers, from the people that are trying to be supporters and they are creating the stigma, unconsciously so I wrote a little piece here to start us start us off with stigma I'll start with that and we'll go from there because we got to start with what is it and where does it come from first of all stigma is a major barrier to seeking help stigma is created through the misunderstanding of what PTs injuries actually are and their negative impact on the person's quality of life people just don't get it Stigma fuels the sense of shame in those who are injured. And this misplaced shame increases reluctance to ask for help and or PTS injuries. So the more the stigma, the less likely somebody is to actually reach out for help. The stigma often creates an inability to even acknowledge or accept that the injury is even real. The first uh, time I reached out for help, wow, was that hard. It was a thousand pound telephone. And I didn't even know that I, uh, what I needed help for. I didn't know I had, um, that I was injured with a PTS injury. I just knew, knew that I could not control my anxiety and my temper with my kids. I couldn't do it. I tried everything under the sun to do it all on my own, and I failed completely and totally. So I thought, well, maybe Veterans Affairs will help me. And I'm not. And picking up that phone for the first time, all I did was apologize and say, "Look, I'm sorry to bother you. Um, I'm not saying that this is." PTSD. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it's from my service. All I know is that I need help. And I thought, can you just do a checkout from the neck up and see if maybe there's some sort of link to my service? I'm, there probably isn't, but can we just check anyway? I didn't want to admit, I didn't even want to look at the possibility that my service caused me an injury because of stigma. I swear, picking up that phone is one of the toughest things I've ever done. And it's also one of the most important things I've ever done. Because I picked up that phone, my relationship with my children is better. I'm still married to a wonderful woman who actually likes me. Because I picked up the phone. Had I not picked up the phone about five years ago, I don't even know if I'd be alive. I'd probably be dead. I'd sure be single. <laughs> my wife wouldn't have uh, stuck through it. And and I wouldn't have the relationship that I have right now with my kids. There's no way in hell. I wouldn't. Because I was not a safe uh, person to be around. Physically safe, yes. But I could not, for the life of me, keep my poop in a group. And I didn't know why. So reaching out, started the process. The first step is acknowledging that, yeah, this injury is real. I got it. doesn't matter where you got it. It, You don't have to be a cop or a veteran or, um, any sort of first responder to have a PTS injury. If you have had a near death experience, if you have been completely, um, soaked in adrenaline and redlined with your heart ripping out of your chest, with, um, then you can have a PTS injury. It's extreme terror. Um, those extreme moments that cause PTS injuries. It's not, uh, depression is a result of that. Depression doesn't cause, uh, or grief doesn't cause, uh, PTS injuries severe situations cause bts injuries and that can ha- happen to anybody it can happen from a traffic accident you uh, it, it don't have to get shot at you don't have to be traipsing in a minefield for it to happen you don't have to have your legs blown off for it to happen it can happen from a variety of, of uh, uh, situations but without first acknowledging that yep yeah I'm injured it's really tough to move forward. And as I mentioned in the intro, the irony is that quite often I have seen it and I, I hope I haven't been guilty of it myself. I probably have though, because I've seen it so often. The very people that are trying to help are often the very people that are increasing the stigma because they don't know better. And it happens a lot within our own community, within the veteran community, within the first responder community. People that are injured, but they don't understand how the injury is affecting them, they don't understand how it is within themselves, they are trivializing it because they don't want to accept that they are one, injured, and two, that it's affecting them. So the stigma itself creates this negative feedback loop of I don't want to admit that I have this injury. Therefore, I don't, um, I I just can't accept that it's there because of the misunderstanding of what causes the injury. And it is an injury. It's not a euphemism to say injury. I'm not saying the word injury because it makes me feel better because it's politically correct. That's not it. Calling it an injury instead of a disorder is simply more accurate. I mean, does it cause disorder in your life? Absolutely. But it is more accurate to call it an injury because that's what it is. You can take somebody with a PTSD injury, put them in an MRI, and you can see that the wiring is all messed up like a soup sandwich. Because what has happened is that those extreme circumstances, whether it be a hundred of them, cumulatively or one big one or something in between, it, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's irrelevant. All that matters is that it has rewired your brain in a way that your brain works great in an emergency situation. It's awesome. It's perfect. The hypervigilance, um, being totally and completely switched on aware of everything that's going on around you, being super alert, that's great in an emergency situation you need that to survive it but when the switch gets stuck on on that is a pts injury your car if you're in if you put even if you have a, an automatic car or a standard car it doesn't matter you put it in first gear now go as fast as you can in first gear till the engine is Aah! going super loud, and just keep it there. If you keep it there, even with the best oil in that car, if you're on the highway in first gear with your pedal to the floor, eventually, well, first of all, you're not going to be able to do highway speed in first gear. And if you got some magical car that can do highway speed in first gear, um, some crazy Lamborghini, That's cool, but it's still not good for the car to be in first gear, even if you can't do the highway speed. So you're going to be underperforming on that highway where everybody else is easily sailing along down that highway, no problem. And their motor is just purring along and they're not uh, using a lot of gas. Your car is working as hard as it possibly can to do that same highway speed and the intensity of that motor is right at the top. It's called redlined, which is your tachometer when it's uh, at the highest RPMs. But it, in, in layman's terms, it's, it's revving as hard as it possibly can without dying. And you, you can do that for a while, especially if you pull over every now and then, have a little 10 minute break, then get back on the highway, back in first gear at full highway speed. That is a lot like what it is to have a PTS injury. Everybody else is having an easier time than you. Where everybody else is relaxed and cool and collected and it ain't no thing. You're just, just easy breezy for them. You're white knuckled on the wheel. And maybe you don't know that, you ha- that you're stuck in first gear. So you don't know what the hell is going on. Why are they so chill? And I'm white-knuckled. I'm giving it all I freaking have just to keep up with- to these people. Why can't I function like they're functioning? Why am I feeling this incredible stress and anxiety? Why do I need so much sleep? Why in the middle of the day do I need to pull over and have a an nap? When nobody else seems to, they're having such an easy time and I'm not. What the hell is going on? That's because your throttle got stuck on full. It's because you're trying to do highway speed in first gear. And until you realize that that's what's going on, that those super intense experiences got your throttle stuck on full and and you're stuck in first gear and you're revving all the time, whether you're conscious of it or not, that's why you get easily overwhelmed because there's no more room. If you're doing hundred kilometers an hour in first gear and you're redlined, you can't do 120. It's physically impossible. You can't do it. You're already at your limit. With somebody with a PTS injury, maybe that translates to your life with only one thing at a time is all you can handle. You like to say, yeah, I got this. I got it. No problem. I can keep up to, the, to the, all the people in the left lane that are passing me. No problem. Because it looks so easy for them, therefore, it must be easy for me too. There's got to be a way. I'll figure it out. I'll be able to do it. But you can't. You're already maxed out. In my own life, I have said yes to more things, thinking honestly, yes, I got this. I'm just as capable as they are. I got this. I've got it. I can do it. And I bite off way more than I can chew just to find out, son of a bitch, I can't do it. I can't take on what other people take on. And it's not because I'm not smart enough. It's not because I'm not a hard worker. It's none of those things. The reason is capacity already at highway speed in first gear, there is no more room. So I've got to chunk things. And when people do their intake for a PTS injury, some, some of the questions that they ask you is about personal hygiene. Cause even getting out of bed, brushing your teeth, showering can be too much. And when you're in the left lane in this scenario and you're just cruising along, you're like, what, what are you talking about? What do you mean it's too much to shower or put on deodorant or uh, it's really hard to imagine because when you're having an easy time and everything is easy for you by comparison, it's really tough to put yourself in the shoes of the people in the right lane with PTS injuries are in first gear doing highway speed and they simply don't have any more room staying alive functioning that's all they got so the so when you're really at your limit people have eating distor- disorders either they're eating too much or they're not eating at all it's one one or the two um or just eating nothing but horrible comfort foods like Doritos or something all day long. There are the people that are super manic. And th- you can see that they're redlined all the time. It looks like they're super high energy. But that's just their throttle getting stuck on full. So they speak louder. Um, not, a, not great control over the volume of their voice or the pace of their voice. They speak louder and faster. Um, they are in a manic state more often than not. And I'm not talking about somebody that's being bipolar. I'm talking about um, somebody presenting with a PTS injury. And I was often in a manic state earlier on as well. And people are like, whoa, that's a lot of energy (laughs) until I crashed. And then there's others that are sluggish. They're talking slowly and moving slowly having trouble getting out of bed can't smile it just they look like there's a heavy weight on them because of the depression i had an uncle and i don't know what his trauma was but i once watched him sleep for two weeks he'd get up to uh, have a glass of water use the bathroom and and back he'd go and he would smell uh, he, would live, he lived with us for like six years. And my mom would just say, here's the towels, here's the soap, go have a shower. And he just, okay. Because he didn't even have enough juice to go have a shower. He had to be told. And that was the level of trauma that he was dealing with. And I don't know what those traumas were. But it doesn't matter. Because it's not my place to judge. At the end of the day, he was injured. He was hurting, and he was suffering from depression. And it's not our place to judge, where'd you get the drama? Well, why'd you get it there? And I've heard this so many times. And in the beginning, I said it too. I said things like, well, if you weren't deployed, how could you have PTSD? It doesn't make sense. I said that. And that's one of the most common things that are said, but you can. Things happen in training, training accidents. Those things happen and even just the stress of training. And I can hear right now the response of some people. Well, if you're just weak, then you can't handle the training. Only the strong survive. Okay what if that person is already in first gear going as fast as they can doing highway speed in first gear before they join the military or the police force but let's talk about the uh, uh, the language that i speak best which is infantry if you're already at highway speed going as fast as you freaking can pedals to the metal, and you haven't even joined yet. You go into battle school, holy shit. Your engine's going to blow, and battle school by itself can easily cause a PTS injury because you don't have the same amount of room. Everybody in the left lane having a great old time. It's like, yeah, battle school's hard for anybody. It doesn't matter who you are, and if you survive it, that's something. Only about one-third of the class would typically pass when I went through in the early 90s. So two-thirds would not pass the first time. I made it the first time, not sure how, because my cup already was full. I was the guy in the right lane (laughs) trying to keep up. But by the skin of my teeth, uh, I did graduate the first time through battle school, but barely, barely. I'm sure I was uh, the bottom of the class because i was already going as fast as i could i was already so traumatized from my childhood that i didn't have a lot more room for the level of intensity that was battle school it was really really tough for me so when somebody has a pts injury you don't know their story if you think that Oh, they got up from the tour and I was on that tour. Well, okay. It didn't mean you had the same tour. If there's 2,000 people on one tour, there were 2,000 different tours. You don't know the experiences of somebody else. You don't know their story. You don't know what happened to them in their childhood. You don't know. So... An example of that. We had a guy who did not make it through battle school. He kept falling out of the runs and people were giving him a hard time. You know, it's like, oh, you're just weak. You're not trying hard enough. You just, uh, you, you don't have the grind. You don't have the grit. You don't have the gravel in your belly. Just suck it up, buttercup, and go. Come on. You're not fat. What's the problem? Well, he had cancer. Now everybody felt pretty shitty (laughs) after it's like oh my god we were beasting this guy and calling him all kinds of names um, because he couldn't keep up but he actually couldn't keep up he had freaking leukemia and he died a year later Uh, they gave him a posting at uh, the military museums and that's where he stayed until he was too sick to work and then he died 21 years old so Before you assume that the reason somebody can't keep up is because they're mentally weak. I don't even know if there's such a thing necessarily as being mentally weak. There is a lack of resilience. Resilience can be built, but there's a reason. And let's just say there is such a thing as mental weakness. Okay. That's fine. But why? Well, that's because of their experiences. It could be epigenetics. Epigenetics. It could be the way that they're raised, but either way, there's a reason for them to be the way that they are in battle school. Some people make it, some people don't, and that's okay. But a PTS injury can happen to anybody. There is nobody. There is no super Rambo out there and and Rambo had a PTSD as well, but there is nobody out there that is immune. Let's put it another way. If somebody was to have their, pardon me, <clears throat> if somebody was to have their legs blown off by a landmine or an IED, is the first thing that comes to your mind uh, is, well, why didn't you just, why didn't you see it? Were you not paying attention? How did you not see that landmine there? I, I sure hope that's not the first thing that comes to your mind. Or Whereas when somebody loses a leg or two, do you think, oh, man, you must have had weak shins. Why weren't you wearing your shin pads? You just have weak shins, weak bones. Weren't you, uh, uh, are you a calcium deficient or something? Were you not in shape? How did your legs get sheared off? Nobody says that. Nobody says that because we realize that nobody is immune to having your legs blown off if you step on a landmine. Nobody. Nobody. Nobody's immune to a bullet. Nobody. Nobody has bulletproof skin. Getting shot doesn't make you weak. It just makes you injured. And it's exactly the same with a PTS injury. Nobody is immune. Some people have more resistance than others. Absolutely true. But nobody is immune. And if you have had an extreme near-death experience, if you've been in a firefight, chances are pretty good that you have some level of a PTS injury. Because once that wiring gets rewired to the, to the lizard brain, the fight, flight, freeze part of your brain, that's a permanent deal. You, it never gets undone. Those neural pathways are there, and they are there for life. And the more times you keep getting into the, in one of these situations where you need the fight, flight, freeze part of your brain, the more that's engaged, the more neural pathways are put. And then what happens is that when you don't need those neural pathways, they're being used anyway. So you're sitting at the kitchen table, your kid's not eating their vegetables, and your brain is saying, if you have a problem, kill it. If you have a problem, kill it if you have a problem kill it that's what your brain is telling you fight flight freeze but it's telling you to fight especially if you're um, police or military you can't freeze if you freeze you or somebody else dies you can't run away if you run away you or somebody else dies when there's time to fight you fight if you don't fight you or somebody else dies so that fight part of your brain all the wiring going to that the neural pathways that have been created that overtakes all the time so back to stigma stigma is simply not understanding everything that we've talked about uh, in the last 25 minutes here that stigma creates disconnection from community because you don't want the judgment from people so you disconnect from the veteran community when people are um throwing out judgments uh, or trivializing what a PTS injury is. So the one community that you want to be connected to, you can't be connected to because you go there, you get judged and that doesn't feel good. So you're disconnected from there. The civilian party of your life, you want to talk to them, but they don't understand what's going on in your head. They don't understand the injury. They don't, they don't understand um, what you went through and to tell them the stories would be to traumatize them. So you don't, you keep it to yourself because if you weren't there, it's so impossible to understand. So now you got nobody to talk to because of stigma. You're isolated and that isolation is disconnection. The disconnection is pain and that creates hopelessness. And that's where the suicide comes from. I hope this makes sense. At the end of the day, be kind, try to remember everybody has a story, and be kind. (laughs) That's it. Just be kind, be empathetic, remember that everybody has a story. This went longer than I thought it would, but thank you for tuning in. This is Operation Tango Romeo, the Tremor Recovery Podcast.